Hello and welcome to the first episode of the UK True Crime Podcast of 2023, episode number 320. I'm Adam. So that was Christmas and New Year again. I hope you had a great time. So today's story comes from the northwest of England in Cumbria, and it's a theme we revisit so many times on this podcast, greed and how many lives are changed forever on what was just another ordinary day. Let me start the year with a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon. A uh, special shout out to the new members of that community. That is Neil Bryan, Wendy Molyneux, Gail L and Debbie Riches who has extended her support. Thank you all so much. As you know, your support is much appreciated. Let me briefly recommend another podcast to you, which I've really got into in the last year. The Cult Vault is a long format interview based podcast. The hosts a different cult survivor each week. On the show, Casey explores various cults, high-demand groups and coercive environments by interviewing individuals who've lived it, escaped it and survived to tell their tales to the world. For anyone looking to learn about cults and coercive control, to hear first-hand experiences or from leading cult experts, then join Casey, the host of the Cult Vault podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe today. It really is a fantastic show with Casey, all about cults. Go and take a listen. Okay, so let's set some context with our non-award winning guest of month and year game. Top of the UK music charts was for the rock purist. At number one, who's David from Busted? Were Busted number one in the US too? No, yeah, was from Usher. Featuring Little John and Ludacris. And number one in Australia was What About Me from Shannon Knoll. In the news this month, Mark Zuckerberg launched Facebook from his Harvard dorm room. Middlesbrough won their first trophy in their 128 year history by beating Bolton in the Football League Cup final. I think I was washing my hair that day. ITV PLC was formed from the merger of Carlton and Granada. I can still recall the Granada music from growing up, can't you? And BBC Radio 4 aired the final letter from America less than six weeks before the death of its presenter, Alastair Cook. The weekly 15-minute programme ran for 2,869 shows from the 24th of March 1946, making it the longest-running speech radio programme in history, even longer than this podcast. And in UK true crime news, 23 Chinese nationals drowned when a group of 35 cockle pickers were trapped by rising tides in Morecambe Bay near Lancaster. 21 bodies were recovered. It's hard to forget that terrible event, but can you recall the month and year? It was February 2004. When I drive between Scotland and England, I always try to stop at T-Bay service station in Cumbria on the M6. Do you know it? T-Bay is about 20 miles east of Lake Windermere, 30 miles northeast of Lancaster and about 30 miles south of Carlisle. It's a beautiful area and T-Bay services, well, farm shop and kitchen. It doesn't serve the usual rubbish, dodgy cheese sandwiches. It's a place where you can Stay classy while eating with ease. But it was only recently that I heard about the events which took place 
just outside Tibet in February 2004. The gang of 10 railway maintenance workers were working just south of Tibet. It's a beautiful part of the world at the southern end of the Lake District. Although when we pick up the story just before 6am on a February morning, the beauty would have been hidden by darkness. Where the men were working, the six-lane M6 motorway, which is busy 24-7, was on the east. To the west was the River Loon. But the men, in their heavy helmets and their ears subjected to the constant drone of the generator supplying power, would have been pretty oblivious to their surroundings. These conditions meant that the men would not have seen the wagon until it hit the group. The railway was closed for maintenance, so they would not have been expecting any wagons come hurtling down the track, and there was no lookout keeping watch for danger, because they weren't expecting any danger. Four men were killed instantly at the scene, and three others, all in their 30s, received serious leg injuries. One man who was not injured but witnessed the horror of what happened to his workmates would not be able to work again for at least six months. The runaway wagon, which was a a trolley used for carrying rail lines, carried on for a mile after hitting the men before finally coming to a halt a mile down the track at a viaduct. The British Transport Police acting superintendent who spoke to the press was clearly shaken as she said. The scene is one of devastation. The four dead suffered severe injuries and would have died instantly. We are trying to find out what the cause of this tragic accident was. A flatbed rail wagon of quite considerable tonnage and somewhere in the region of 12 to 15 foot in length was loaded with redundant rails. What we don't know is why this wagon started its journey downhill. It was a runaway train gathering speed and we are looking at quite a considerable speed, anything up to 30 or 40 miles an hour when it hit the workers. They were working in the dark and probably had their safety gear on and there would have been no noise. An inspector with the health and safety executive announced an immediate investigation saying, there would not be a need for a lookout in this sort of work because both lines were blocked to the passage of trains. Part of the investigation is to discover how the trolley became uncoupled and rolled down the track. If the brakes are on, a trolley would usually not move. We are investigating if there was a fault in the system, how the job has been organised, was there a problem with the brakes and was there something else wrong with the machine? A worker who was working further up the railway line spoke in more straightforward language. It would have hit them like 20 tonnes of death straight out of the dark. They'd have had no idea what's coming. This is the worst nightmare for any rail person. An unmanned wagon coming straight at you out of the pitch darkness. The workers at the heart of this tragedy were from the local area and they were working for Carillion Rail a subcontractor upgrading the West Coast Main Line to accommodate the new tilting 150 miles an hour Pendolino trains. For Tom Burgess, it was a terrible day. As a railway maintenance worker himself, he knew all about the accident before the news hit the airwaves, but it took some time before he heard whether his own son was a victim. He told the BBC, I was at work myself that day and we got a phone call to say there'd been an accident at Tibet 
and there'd been some fatalities. Then I realised that Darren had told me he was working at T-Bay, so I tried to ring his mobile to see if he knew anything about it, but I couldn't get an answer. I got home and made some inquiries at the local depot where he was based, but they couldn't tell me anything either. Eventually, we got a call to ask us to go down to the depot. I got Nicola, Darren's partner, and we went down. We were told that Darren was one of the fatalities. Darren was just 30 years old and he'd been working for the Royal Mail until just six months earlier when he began working on the railways. He and his partner Nicola had been together for four years and had just taken that most exciting step of buying their own house together, not far from his mum and dad. It just seems such a waste, said Tom Burgess. It's hard to live with and we've got that for life now. It's turned our lives upside down and put a great strain on everything. And soon after Tom heard about Darren's death, he too had to return to his work, the same job that Darren was doing when he was killed. Tom said, In a way it helped, but I must admit I don't like working at night now, and the wife certainly doesn't like it. She can't rest at home worrying, and I suppose that will always be there. The three other men who lost their lives that day were 49-year-old Colin Buckley, 53-year-old Chris Waters and 46-year-old Gary Tyndall. Chris Waters left behind a wife and daughters aged 18 and 23. He was described as a railwayman through and through. It later transpired he'd had concerns and he'd actually complained about safety before his death, telling his wife Christine that new helmets issued to the men were more of a danger than safety because workers could not hear what was happening around them. And father of one, Gary Tyndall, had lived in T-Bay all his life, having gone to school there, and described as a model husband and father and a hard worker by friends and family. He captained the railway social club darts team and was described as being at the very heart of the railway community in T-Bay. His son also worked on the railways. As the families and communities affected tried to come to terms with the tragedy, life went on as normal on the busy railway line. Just after 6am the next day, just 24 hours after the accident, the first intercity train raced south on the line. But meanwhile, a joint police and health and safety investigation had begun, and what they found was really quite shocking. 44-year-old Mark Connolly was the boss of MAC Machinery Services, named after his initials, which was subcontracted to work for rail maintenance chart Carillion. In 2004, Carillion was working with Network Rail to replace and upgrade the UK rail network, and one of many firms who were contracted to work on the project was Mac Machinery Services. Connolly had driven a low loader truck with a railway crane and two wagons to Cumbria to lift ageing track from the West Coast main line onto railway wagons. And just before 6am on the morning of the accident, 28-year-old Roy Kennett, an employee of Mac Machinery Services, began using the large crane, known as a road rail vehicle or RRV, to lift lengths of steel onto the wagons. As he worked, Connolly was asleep in the back of the lorry. But Connolly had cut corners on safety. 
He had deliberately disconnected the brakes on the two wagons because both the hydraulic systems were not in great condition, which meant they would not work properly in conjunction with the crane. But Connolly did not do the right thing and make the necessary repairs. Instead, he filled the cables connecting the wagons to the crane, which were usually full of hydraulic brake fluid, with ball bearings. This meant that to anyone watching on or to any safety inspector, that everything seemed as it should have been. And then Roy Kennett placed poor quality wooden chocks under the wheels of the wagons, but this wasn't enough. And to his absolute horror, as Kennett began unloading the second wagon, it began to roll away. He and inexperienced supervisor Danny Jones frantically tried to stop it, but they couldn't stop the momentum of the wagon, which weighed almost 20 tonnes and approaching speeds of 40 miles an hour on a 75 to 1 gradient, the runaway wagon was on a collision course with the men performing maintenance on the track four miles away at T-Bay. Kennett desperately tried to warn the men of what was coming eight minutes later, but none of the men responded to mobile phone calls or would have heard the wagon coming as they were wearing the helmets designed to protect them from their own loud machinery. They felt totally safe that day, securing the knowledge that no train services were operating and the line had been closed to all trains. In the early winter morning darkness, the men would not have seen the wagon until the very last moment, and the four men who lost their lives that morning suffered catastrophic multiple injuries and died instantly. Mark Connolly was spoken to by the police following the incident. He said he was at a loss to explain how the accident happened, preferring to blame the site supervisor or Kennett for uncoupling the trailers from the crane incorrectly. He told police when he was first quizzed, in my opinion, I'm at a loss to understand what has gone wrong. He tried to avoid any blame at all, telling the police that it was a crane driver's responsibility to check the trailer's brakes and Roy Kennett, who was operating the crane, told police that the trailer just rolled away from the blocks. He said how it went straight over the blocks and down the track. He was very clear that Connolly was at fault, saying that had the brake systems been in order, there'd have been no need for the blocks as the hydraulic pressure would have resulted in an effective braking system. As well as trying to blame others for the accident, it was found that Connolly was behind on other safety issues. For example, the trailers did not have valid certificates of engineering acceptance at the time of the incident at T-Bay. Both men faced trial at Newcastle Crown Court. Connolly of Anglesey, North Wales, and Kennett of Maidstone, Kent, both denied four charges of manslaughter. Connolly also denied three counts of breaching health and safety laws, and Kennett denied one count. It was, as you can imagine, an incredibly emotional trial, and the families of the dead men sitting in the public gallery broke down in tears as the prosecutor explained how they had suffered such massive injuries, including the loss of limbs when hit by the runaway wagon. During the nine-week trial, the court heard that Connolly had falsified documents including a certificate to say that Kennett was a qualified crane operator, to cover up his cost-cutting. 
During the evidence, it became very clear that this was a terrible accident that could have been prevented if only Connolly had done things properly. When the jury returned from their deliberations, they returned verdicts of guilty on all charges. In mitigation, the QC for Connolly said that the father of two was a broken man having lost his home, his business and his family. But there was very little sympathy for him in the court, as Connolly had not shown any sorrow at all for what he had done and put the families of the victims through the ordeal of this lengthy trial. Jailing Connolly for nine years, the judge said, the result was immediate and long term. Immediate carnage, four men killed, four men seriously injured. He said his actions were motivated purely by greed to a degree that beggars belief. You've done your best to shift the blame onto other people, oblivious of the hypocrisy. You've never expressed any regret or offered any apologies for any part of it. The judge said only a long term of imprisonment could be justified in such a unique case of manslaughter. Roy Kennett was sent to prison for two years for his role in the disaster. Superintendent Alistair Cumming, who led the investigation, said the following outside court. Mark Connolly was a cowboy operator and Mac Machinery Services was a cowboy outfit. There are only two people to blame. They are Mark Connolly and Roy Kennett as he condemned Connolly for his greed and blatant and premeditated disregard for safety. The dignified members of the victims' families declined to speak outside the court and instead the lead detective read a statement on behalf of all the families. During the past two years we've had to come to terms with not only our loss but also that this was an accident that could and should never have happened. We've been unable to understand how anybody or why anyone would put onto the railway, trailers, which had had their brakes deliberately disabled. Even though the jury has delivered a guilty verdict, we have no sense of victory or celebration, and our lives have changed forever. We are relieved it is now over. In 2006, a small simple plaque was erected at the site of the T-Bay incident. It simply lists the names and the homes of the men who lost their lives on that winter's morning. Colin Buckley, 49, of Carnforth. Darren Burgess, 30, also of Carnforth. Chris Waters, 53, of Morecambe. And Gary Tyndall, 46, of T-Bay. Connolly and Kennett both served their jail sentences. Connolly then made the news again, on a less major scale this time, when he was refused an O-licence by the Traffic Commissioner for Wales. This O-licence is kind of a vehicle operator's license, essentially a license that you need if you run a haulage business as it demonstrates your competence. The Licensing Authority for Wales found that Mark Connolly was unfit to run HGVs as he had not disclosed the full circumstances of the offences that led to his conviction after the T-Bay Rail accident. Connolly had told the Licensing Authority that though he'd been involved in operating HGVs at the time of the incident at T-Bay, his new business venture would be very different in nature. He'd also been stopped by the authorities earlier in 2016 whilst operating an HGV without permission. He claimed he had not needed an O-licence as the vehicle 
was carrying out recovery work, but the authority found the truck was no different to a general haulage vehicle. As Connolly had held an O licence prior to his conviction, the authorities said he should have been aware of O licensing requirements. The chief licenser said he had been wholly unimpressed with Connolly. It is clear that the convictions resulting in four separate seven-year sentences for manslaughter arose from his business that included HGV transport. Mark Connolly's approach to a highly dangerous safety-critical environment demonstrated the grossest of negligence. Reflecting on the totality of the evidence and on my assessment of Mark Connolly, he falls woefully short of the standard required, namely satisfying me on the balance of probabilities that he is fit to hold an operator's licence. You know, when people go to prison and come out of prison for offences similar to these, what's the idea of sending them to prison? It's a deterrent, of course, but also they learn some lessons. You've got to ask just what lessons Mark Connolly learnt in those years in prison. So what do you make of what we've heard today? A shocking story of greed, isn't it? Of course you can argue that Connolly and Kennett were unlucky and they didn't know that their actions would lead to such a terrible outcome. But bear in mind, they were messing with the brakes of a 20-ton wagon on a piece of track with a 75 to 1 gradient. Sure, on another day they would have got lucky and nobody would have been hurt. But this is why there are such strong safety considerations working in dangerous environments such as the railway. I can't help thinking how Connolly's ex-wife and children managed through this total nightmare. They are, as we hear so often on this podcast, often the unseen victims. But our thoughts today are very much with the four men and their families that were killed on that February morning in Tibet when just doing their jobs. And it was made so much worse for them by the actions and the attitude of Connolly. Tom Burgess, who we heard from earlier and whose son Darren was killed at T-Bay, explained how this was the case, saying, The sight of Connolly in particular, arrogant and showing no sign of remorse, has been particularly difficult for them to deal with. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspects of UK True Crime, please just head to Facebook, and search for UK True Crime, and you'll find over 85,000 of us. Here's many things, it's never boring. And to support the show, and why wouldn't you, especially in 2023, a new year, a new opportunity, find your way to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. There's bonus episodes, exclusive content, and everything else, and more that you could ever want or need, sort of. Okay, so that's it for me for the first week of 2023. If you are back at work this week, hang in there. I reckon that we may be able to retire by our mid-80s given a strong following wind. Gosh, what a thought. I'd rather listen to the Kings of Leon. So on that bombshell, thanks for listening. Take it easy. And until we speak next week, despite all the others, please stay classy. Cheerio for now.